This podcast was recorded on Friday, October 26th, 2018. The views and opinions expressed herein are of the date recorded and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities. Such views and opinions may differ from those of DoubleLine Capital or its affiliates and are subject to change without notice. DoubleLine has no obligation to provide any updates or changes. Here is my co-host Samuel Lau. Hey, hey. And today we have a special guest. We have Brent Stallings, who's a portfolio manager here at Double Line. Welcome, Brent. Thanks. Hello, everyone. Yeah. So, Brent, you're a member of the Macro Asset Allocation team, and uh, you work with us on the Cape products, amongst other things. And uh, wanted to really talk to uh, people out there today about the Global Investment Classification Standards, or GICS for short. Uh, so, are you a GICS expert? Uh, yes. Okay, excellent. Yeah, as much as anyone would want to admit to that. All right, perfect. So what is GIX and why does anybody care? Uh, let's parse this up. What is GIX? Okay, well, like, like you just said, it's the Global Industry uh, Classification Standard maintained by uh, two well-known index providers, uh, so MSCI uh, and Standard & Poor's. And it's basically a way of dividing up the companies of the equity markets into sectors. So it basically divides up 95% of the market capitalization of the global equity markets uh, into 11 different sectors. Okay. What happened to the other five? Did they just fall out or just didn't care to categorize them? As small, that's, that's small markets, non-US markets. So, you know, basically, you know, basically significant companies in the industrialized markets all get categorized into, uh, into this. So in other words, we just don't care about the other five. Yeah. Right. So that 5% is ignored. Should we expect an ETF coming soon? There you go. Yeah, right. Yeah. Where the, yeah. best, uh, the best value is too, right? <laughs> That's yeah. right. There's, there'll be an academic paper behind that. Soon. Okay. Well, uh, don't write it. Let's put it into practice before right. we do that. But the, the so, double line 5% fund. Yeah. I think people would infer that would be a, a guarantee out there. So why do people actually care about this? Like, wh- why does GIX matter? So it came around, what was, when was it? The late 90s? 99. 99. Yep. And so why, why does it matter that there's this global industry, industry classification standard? Uh, let, me, let me talk about why, why the general world cares and then why, why we care. The general world cares because a it's, a, a, it's a way of dividing up the market into, into different sectors that are somewhat correlated with where the equities within them economically are correlated with one another and, and sometimes from a trading standpoint as well. Um, but it ends up being the basis for some pretty significant investment vehicles. Here in the US, we're pretty familiar with the sector spider funds, the ETFs that track specific sectors. Those are all based upon the GIX classification schemes or the indices that underlie those are are based around the classification schemes. So that's the general. Okay. Go but ahead. prior to this global industry classification, I'm going to call it GIX. Okay. So prior to Gix, yeah, what did people do? Were they just running around lost in their portfolios? I mean, how did how did why you, you used to run equity portfolios in the nineties? Like, how, what did that look like? What did you do? Were you just lost until you found this thing? Is this some magic panacea? Well, a lot of before this, frankly, a lot of active managers would classify their portfolios because clients were always were always asking, you know, what's your exposure to this part of the economy, that part of the economy. Uh, a lot of managers would just, frankly, kind of make it up. Okay. They, they divided up themselves, but there were other classification standards. But what happened with GICs is you really had an industry standard emerge. Okay. 
Well, I guess that's why it's the global industry standard then, right? There you go. It's right in the name. All right. So why are we discussing this today, Brent? What is the relevance of this GIX today? All right. Why do, why do we care? Well, we have double line and our clients. Well, why does the market care? Yep. Forget well, double line. Let's talk about the market too. Why would the market care today? Well, the market cares today because we just had essentially the most significant change in the GIX classification scheme since its uh, creation in 1999. And that change is uh, the creation of the communications sector. Okay. Not really a new sector, uh, but it is the evolution of the old telecom sector into a new communication sector. So you had a so drop in the tele. And we're adding, we're just keeping the calm. Exactly. Okay. Semantics. It's all semantics. It's more than semantics, actually. The substance behind it uh, is you have a telecom sector. When I entered the business in the 90s, this was 9% of the S&P. There were a couple, uh, or there were well over a dozen names, rather, in the sector. So it really mattered back then. What's happened since then is it's atrophied. It's it's become three, It had become three names and 2% of the S&P 500. So what were those three names? Do you recall what they were? So uh, that was uh, CenturyTel, Verizon, and AT&T. So all, all essentially wireless providers. Wireline and wireline. Wireline and wireline. Yeah, right. Yeah. Or more pejoratively, dumb pipes. All right. Right. Oh. So you had... <laughs> well, in, in... Smart pipes. <laughs> yeah. Hey, man, we should create a smart pipes fund. Smart, hey. <laughs> smart data, smart yeah. pipes. Right. Exactly. Right. So... Right. Remember, you had the Telecommunications Act in the mid 90s that basically took AT&T and blew it apart. And then you had a huge amount of innovation around the telecommunications sector. You had a lot of capital go into it, a lot of startups in the late 1990s that were basically providing the pipes to build out uh, the Internet. And then since what's happened since is basically AT&T and Verizon put they put the band back together, right? You had all the baby bells and then it all consolidated uh, back together, but it's just a much less significant sector than it, uh, than it once, uh, than it once was. So at the same time over that, over the same period, you had a lot of new companies being created within the internet and the communications sector, but they were all over the place sector wise, right? Somewhere in tech, somewhere in communications, Frankly, it didn't make a lot of sense. It, it didn't even make sense in the 1990s, right? I remember having conversations with with within our equity team uh, back in 2000 and with clients, you know, arguing over, well, should this internet company, it's indiscretionary, but should it really be in tech or should it be somewhere else? So the distinctions were never really that clean. You had, for instance, you had eBay, which is e-commerce, was in tech, right? But you have Amazon, which is e e-commerce was indiscretionary. So with the creation of the communications sector, Frank, you know, basically the GIX folks, MSCI and S&P, they just cleaned it all up. Yeah. So they're helping us, you're saying? Actually, I think they are. Actually, I think they are adding clarity. They are adding clarity to the whole system. And they did this by taking about 5% out of the technology sector and about 3% out of the consumer discretionary sector, combining it with that 2% that was uh, formerly telecom, uh, moving some letters around, as you said, right. and voila, you have the communication sector or right. communications services sector. It is communication services to, to be, be very technical. precise yeah. about it. So um, it sounds like S&P and MSCI are just out there being very altruistic, you know, doing it for the greater good of portfolio managers and the likes. Do you think that's the reason they really did that? I mean, you, no, you, that's, you Wall, the, that's how Wall Street works, right? That, right, exactly. It's 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 doing God's work, right? Exactly. Or Allah's work or whoever your deity may be. Exactly, you know? exactly. So, but commercially, do you think there's anything behind this? Yeah, all kidding aside, there is commercial logic on the part of the index providers as well. There's a lot of money in selling these indices. As we talked about earlier, these indices are the basis 
for a lot of different index products, ETFs. And frankly, I don't think the telecom sector was making a lot of money for many people. 2% of the S&P, I actually, the, within the sector ET or the sector spiders, the telecom uh, sector was actually rolled into tech. So it didn't even have its own ETF. Right. So again, wasn't gener- really wasn't generating revenue. So, you know, I have to think for S&P and MSCI, there is a commercial, there's commercial logic as well uh, in creating a new, a new sector. Doesn't help that this new sector has uh, three of the fangs uh, in it as well. Well, I actually, you say it doesn't help. But I actually, as we think about the commercial aspects of it, do you think maybe some of the motivation was to try to group the things together? Because if you create a sector, now you show a back test, all of a sudden you said, I think you used the word voila earlier, right? You right. have this great sector of the market now. Do you, do you think there's something to be said perhaps about that? Or? Oh, no, no. That was, yeah. that, was exactly, that was exactly my point. I think it makes this new communication sector more compelling as a commercial product because you have three of the four fangs. And remember, this was all, these moves were all announced and put together in 2017, right? Before Facebook rolled over and everyone was excited about the fangs and everyone to own, everyone wanted to own the fangs. What, what, it's what, like, what, hey, let's put, let's put three of the four together in a sector. Wasn't there a futures contract launch on the fangs as well? Fang Plus, do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. Talk, talk about a top of the market. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. So, for clarity, so uh, which three names are we talking about here that went into the new, or went into the communication services sector? So, uh, so Google, uh, Facebook, and uh, Netflix all moved into the new communication. So the Google book, now called Alphabet though too, right? Yeah, for, thank you. Yes, Google. There'd be fonts like, hey. Yes. Alphabet, hey. Alphabet, both, both yes. two, both actually two tickers, yeah. both two share classes. Okay. Right? So Amazon um, has stayed in consumer, uh, has stayed in consumer discretionary. Okay. So with this example too, and uh, some of our listeners are familiar here, and here's the cheap double line plug, but we run a strategy that does sector rotation based upon gig sectors. Two so, of them actually. Yeah, well, actually, there you go. See? Um, and so from that perspective, what are the implications here? Again, that's that's uh, why it's particularly relevant to us, our largest equity strategy, the, the double line Schiller enhanced CAPE strategy, sector rotation strategy, and then uh, another strategy, which is European, it's European clone, the, the double line Schiller International uh, Enhanced Cape Strategy. Both rotate sectors, both rotate sectors using the classification systems from GIX. Right. So we so, obviously have to pay close attention to this. Well, so why I was only saying the one is because the international strategy that we run, actually the MSCI version of this change hasn't occurred yet. So it does occur next month. Good point. So I just want to make sure our, our people out there listening know that we do pay attention to all of our strategies around here. Yes. Um, so what? So this change happened. So this is based on historical CAPE ratios for sectors. Well, if a sector was just created last month, how does one go and calculate a valuation metric on this brand new sector? This is actually why it's important to have these independent entities, MSCI and S&P, that put together GIX, an independent entity uh, that's that's creating a classification scheme, right? It's an independent body that says these are what the names actually today, but also historically, these are where the company sat within these 11 uh, within these 11 sectors. So with that knowledge, uh, with the uh, historical constituents that MSCI and S&P provide, then one can go back and calculate these, uh, these historic, the data for these historical sectors, 
um, which then in our case becomes the basis for uh, for our strategies. Right. So be able to go back and look through things. And so the nice thing is there's a, a mapping behind the schema. So it's not just, oh, we're going to arbitrarily take companies. There's a industry classification that sits below the sectors. There's a sub sub industry or there's sub sectors, there's industry subgroups and all that stuff. So it allows you to do some of this mapping as well, right? Right, exactly. Which, I mean, a great example in, in this case, and and you're right, there are uh, 68, there are 68 industries that sit below, there are 24 industry groups that sit below these 11 sectors. Uh, but for instance, in this case, the entire media industry, which was in consumer discretionary, and by media, it's both the content players like Disney, but also the the cable companies, um, that whole media sector got pulled out of consumer discretionary and dropped into the new communication. So yeah, you have these, the mapping, the mapping actually works, uh, works pretty uh, well within that. Right. So let's talk about the strategy. So yep. how would the strategy have changed based upon this new schema that we're talking about here? What, what, what took place? What were concerns that we had and, and things you thought about there? Is there, is it much ado about nothing? Is there a lot of changes here? What, what is, uh, yeah. what's your feeling on that? It's really pretty simple. It's, I mean, A, it's already happened, but we now have 11 sectors. Uh, we, we, we joke about this internally. I think there were a lot of old spinal tap jokes going around uh, the cross asset team. You know, we go to 11. Right. Uh, I use that in the webcast, too. And um, I was just saying, like, it reminded I went and rewatched the scene again because it reminded me of it is that, you know, when you watch Rob Reiner interview Christopher Guest, who's the guy right. talking about going to 11. Yep. It's the same dial, you know, and exactly. it goes to 10, but now it goes to 11. It's like you're just splicing right. and dicing it differently. It's like the old Yogi Berra uh, quote of, you know, um, don't don't slice my pizza into eight pieces, only do it into six. I'm not that hungry. Right. right. It's just exactly. the perspective of it. But it really is not much different. They're still the same names. They're still owned by people. It wasn't like there's this rush to buy fangs all of a sudden because they're going to be in this new sector. Well, and 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 the. Implicit in what you say is, a, is an important point, and that's that for individual names, their weight within the S&P 500 didn't change. The constituents of the S&P 500 didn't change. It's just it's how that pizza gets sliced up. And so, again, in, in our case, before we had 10 sectors that the, the decision rules uh, that would rotate sectors, those decision rules would choose from 10 sectors. Because remember, before I said telecom was included in the technology sector. So for purposes of our strategy, the, the tech sector that we, that the index used, that the Cape Schiller index used, combined both tech and telecom. Now communications is an 11th. So there are the universe of opportunities is 11 sectors. The companies are the same. And you sort of dig down deeper into that. The valuation methodology based on a relative CAPE ratio is exactly the same as it was before. The decision rules are exactly the same as they were before. The decision rules on a monthly basis, they choose the five sectors that have the lowest relative CAPE ratios. So in other words, the five sectors of the market that are that look most attractively valued on relative to their own 20-year history takes those five, drops the one the decision rules think is most likely to be a value trap. You're left four, you equal weight them. It's what the decision rules were doing before. It's what they're doing now. It's exactly the same. So to try to summarize that, there's no methodological, methodological, it's hard for me to say, difference um, or change in the process. It's just the way you view the world. 
right? The way that you calculate these, this relative grouping amongst uh, various securities who should behave similarly economically. Exactly. exactly. And this is done by an independent party. It's not Brent Stallings methodology. This is, you know, lots of right. academics, et cetera, and thought about this to be able to do it, not to diss your academic credibility there. No, but if, if I were sitting in the office at 10 o'clock deciding at night, deciding which companies go into which sectors, that, that probably wouldn't have as much academic rigor as, <laughs> as Dr. Schiller's uh, yeah. research as the joke's been around uh twitter this week is uh, i think it came from another podcast where the guys were talking about you can't be a quant if you don't use the word robust at some point so rigor rigor to me is very close to robustness but uh, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna bash rigor like uh, robustness has been uh, bashed this week well okay well let's let's beat on let's beat on robustness a little bit let's okay. let's Let's talk about robustness. All right. The, so the, so uh, let's talk about the robustness of the process. How does this change the strategy in a forward-looking context then? Yeah. Because that's what us quants and people talk about is robustness. Right. Do your do your rules still work if you apply it to different markets, slight permutations? When I took math, it was called perturbation theory, right? You perturb the system, see if it amplifies the error, right? So the idea here is that right. is this still robust by changing it? Or are we at just the whims of... You know the 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 market kings of S and P and MSCI, and we believe that it is still robust, equally ro- robust. Uh, one of the interesting things is Schiller. Schiller and his research peers and his research colleagues have actually sliced and diced this this methodology. This methodology for rotating sectors. They've done it a number of ways with different over different time periods and slicing and dicing the sectors different ways. Schiller, you know, went so far as to to look at the methodology back to 1902 using three sectors because again the economy was a lot different back then. You didn't have you didn't have telecommunications. You, what did people do back then? I mean, uh, there was no Facebook, there was no Twitter. How did you how did you talk I, bad about somebody? I, how'd they spend yeah. their time? You had to say it to their face back then. Yeah. Maybe that's why there's a lot more fist fights back then, you know. Right. Exactly. But uh, so back then you had you had utilities, you had industrials, and you had railroads. So you know Schiller's looked at this this sector rotation methodology with those three sectors back to 1902. Obviously uh, not choosing five and rotating, but you know again. But, but again, the same, same idea, same right? Idea. The same idea that you, you the same idea of using a 20 year relative CAPE ratio. You know, using the CAPE ratio as your as your core valuation methodology. And then calculating a relative one based on the twenty-year average, um, and using that to pick to pick sectors, right? So you know we've seen three sector we've seen three sector versions of it going back well over a hundred years. We've seen ten sector versions of it starting in the '80s, starting in the '90s, starting in the aughts. So it's been sliced and diced a lot of different ways, and it's been really quite robust to overuse. Yeah, the word. That's good. I mean, you're been, bringing rigor to your robust analysis here. Yeah, right. robustly, it's robustly rigorous, and uh, over again, a long period. The the, the the research is pretty compelling. So, as we think about these sectors too, how did it change the valuation? Because I think this is something for listeners out there should be aware of. Because sectors inherently have classifications behind them, like they're thought of as cyclical or defensive in nature. And you know, when you mention the names in the telecom, I think historically those have been what people would call defensive sectors of the market, right? Mm-hmm. Lower beta, lower vol, higher dividend, higher dividend, lower valuation, because again, that's stability there, right? Right. Um, how does that change with this new 
uh, schema coming through and identifying these media companies and other pieces of the market as communications. Yeah. So the relative CAPE ratio on the communication sector is higher than it was for the old telecommunications sector. And intuitively, I think that does make a lot of sense, right? You took basically three dividend stocks. You said, you, you know, you're exactly right. Sort of low vol, defensive, um, dividend-oriented names. And now you've thrown into the mix Google and, and Facebook and, you know, as well as, you know, Disney and Comcast and Fox and, and a lot of names like that. Advertising names, Omnicom. Um, so the valuation of the communication sector based on a relative CAPE ratio is higher uh, than it was for the old uh, the old telecommunications sector. So what did it do to the sectors that it pulled from, right? Because this isn't, you know, this is the pie. We're just slicing and dicing it differently. So if it made valuation higher for communication in the old telecom, what does the places it came from look like? For instance, technology and discretionary. Right. It actually made discretionary a little bit more expensive because what? the pieces. Well, you took expensive stuff out and made it more expensive. How is that? Well, because discretionary was more expensive before it was more expensive than telecom before. So even though you took out some pieces that are more expensive than telecom, you took out pieces that on average were less expensive than what's left overall discretionary. It was the media. But what's the biggest position in consumer discretionary? Oh, Amazon. Yeah. It's almost a third of the consumer discretionary. And that doesn't carry a low multiple, does it? Well, it's a lot well, lower today I mean, as we record here on a Friday. Yeah. <laughs> so some would argue that Amazon Mark doesn't really. Yeah. 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 We're on Friday, October 26th, for clarity's sake. So Some I don't context. want people to think that uh, Amazon may be ripping next week. And all of a sudden we're, we're, we're being critical here. But, talking about yeah. but yeah, I was I was tongue in cheek going to say that some would argue that Amazon doesn't really have a multiple because it doesn't really have a lot of earnings. But Fair <laughs> that said, um, that said, that is the biggest constituent of the of the discretionary sector, and right. it's a it's a very expensive stock. Stock. So uh, yeah, consumer discretionary is more expensive now than it was uh, than it was before. Okay. Technology. I think you, you asked about yeah. tech as well. Actually, surprisingly enough, it wasn't much of a change. Yeah. Okay. Basically, you, you can barely pick it out in a graph, the difference. So if the addition of these names from these different sectors, what is the size impact? What did telecom go from to? Go to from? Go from to? Go f- to, let's right. say. How much of the S&P was telecom before and what is it today, And Sam? what is communication <laughs> services today? Yes. There you go. Yes. So uh, it was 2% before. Telecom was 2%. Okay. You added 5% from tech. And add another 3% from consumer discretionary, you now have a 10% sector. Okay. So, so when you're saying now, of, it's of the S&P, it's not of those sectors, right? Yes, yeah. yes thank you. Right. Of, right. of the S&P. Right. So you now have a sector that's 10% of the S&P 500. Basically the same size as, consumer, of the, new, as the new consumer discretionary. So it's a meaningful... Yeah. It's now a meaning... It's really a big big part of the market now, right? Because most sectors, you know, aren't 10% of the market, right? Or 10% well, of the S&P. They're, yeah, they're, right? yeah, they're 11 sectors. Right. So By it's, definition, it's, it should it be is, like 9.9 on average. Right. It is slightly above average. Okay, okay. Um, so being our resident geeks expert, as you've demonstrated today, uh, is there any things that you have and feelings that S&P or MSCI are going to make in the future? Is there anything you're, you're, you're looking for going forward? And are we done? Is 11 enough? Or if you liked 11 sectors, shouldn't we have 12? As long as we don't have 13, I think unlucky 13 will uh, will be good. Uh, I, I don't know of any changes, but I mean, I think it's, it's important to note that, you know, the evolution of these sectors is an ongoing process. It was interesting for me to learn that, you know, up until 1982, railroads had their own sector. You know, we talked yeah. before, you know, Schiller in one of his one of his academic papers used it as one of the sectors. Uh, so 
The economy changes, the indices change over time. Um, I don't think railroads are going to come back in as a sector. Yeah. But hey, well, you heard it here first. Railroads may not be their own sector, according to our resident geeks expert, Brent Stallings. They, so. are, they, are, they, are, they currently right. barely get their own sub industry. Right. So the categories as they stand today looked, uh, look pretty good. You don't see a 12th sector coming out. Not any, not anytime soon. All right. Well, thanks for joining us today, Brent. We'll keep it short and sweet. But as with always, all guests get a chance to participate in Sam Lau's favorite part of this exercise, and it's called The Sherman Says. All right, Brent. So hopefully, um, as a Double Line employee, you've heard at least one podcast in the past, so you know the rules here. But in case you haven't, I won't embarrass you. What I'm going to do is I'm going to offer up a term, and then you're going to offer up a reply in response. So I'm going to start off, Mr. Sherman, and I'll alternate to you and back and forth. Mr. Sherman, consumer sentiment. <laughs> Reported or, <laughs> or in the market? <sighs> consumer sentiment appears to be strong. Investor sentiment. Oh, that's, that's the what I was trying to answer. <laughs> uh, skittish. It seems like it's always the case. Uh, U.S. Uh, equities. today. <laughs> U.S. equities, Sherman. Wobbly. Earnings. Peaking. Housing market. <sighs> Peaked. Huh. That's, that's past tense. Universal basic income. 2020 campaign platform. Cash. Rules everything around us. Cream. Or I guess that's crew. crew. That's crew. crew. Cape ratio, Brent. For the market, uh, high. Daylight saving, dumb. Capex, peaking. A lot of peaking going around yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> Political landscape. I wish we were peaked. <laughs> um, divisive. And. Uh, Depending on when we release this podcast, midterms, midterm elections, not exams. Is this, are you asking for a political? No, you want one a word. One word. You're already way over. First thought. First thought. Hmm. Republican. Both houses. All right. There's only one house. Both chambers. There you go. Okay, great. We want to clarify that. All right. So thanks again for joining us, Brent. Thanks for being a, a good sport here on your Geeks updates. Uh, as always, you can catch us on iTunes, SoundCloud, some other app, Double Line's website. You got feedback, uh, Sherman Show at DoubleLine.com. Look forward to hearing for you, from you, not for you. And uh, look forward to the next episode coming soon. The audio presentation represents Double Line's intellectual property. No portion of this presentation may be published, reproduced, transmitted, or rebroadcast in any media in any form without the expressed written permission of Double Line. Double Line has no obligation to provide any updates or changes. To receive permission from Double Line, please contact media at doubleline.com. Neither Double Line nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast and any liability therefore, including and respective direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage is expressly 
previously disclaimed. Double Line is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice in this podcast. The receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by any Double Line entity or individual to that listener nor to constitute such person a client of any double-line entity. The portfolio risk management process includes an effort to monitor and manage risk, but does not imply low risk. Copyright 2018, Double-Line Capital.